All right, well, uh, it is great to be together. I'm so thankful for uh, this opportunity we have to study God's Word together. We're uh, going to be in the book of Proverbs today, which is a little bit uh, different, but it's Mother's Day, and I thought I could do something a little special for Mother's Day, a special sermon for Mother's Day, and I uh, know, of course, that not all of us are, are moms or dads, and not all of us are even at the same stage as moms or dads, and so I don't know whether we'll do this every year, or whether we'll always take a whole Sunday, uh, but it is an important subject for sure, being a mom, being a parent, and I thought I could try to talk about it in a way that's not just for moms, but is definitely applicable to moms, so this isn't just for moms, I realize that, but it's applicable to moms, and specifically, I want us to think about one of the keys, the keys to living a successful life, being good at life. And for moms, we can say it like this, one of the keys to being a successful mom. So if someone asks you to write a chapter in a book called How to Best Live Life, or uh, since this is Mother's Day, How to Become a Great Mom, What You Need to Be a Great Mom, what would your chapter be about? Now, the way you answer a question like that is going to depend on how you define successful or great, of course. But I'm just talking generically about being effective and honoring God, making a positive impact. That is successful. That is great. What would you say is the key to a successful life like that, being a successful mom like that? And I know at first that seems like a little bit of a weird question to ask at church, how to be a great mom how to live a successful life. Personally, I don't like it. I feel uncomfortable when you go to church and they talk so much about like now and about what you do that it feels like they're forgetting the eternal and the gospel and grace and what is really important. And I don't know if you ever heard a sermon like that where you almost feel like, where's Jesus? So there is definitely some, some weird ways, uh, no question there are some wrong ways we can ask these kinds of questions, how to be successful, how to do something well. But at the same time, as a Christian, as someone whom God has rescued, as someone whom God has shown so much love to, as someone who's been saved by what Jesus did, it seems like there has to be a place for you asking questions like that because you are living life right now. And so you need to know how to live it best because it's not even your life, technically. It's a gift from God, and so you want to be as effective and good at it as you possibly can be, because you only have so much time right now before what comes next. And the way you use your time right now is not just about you. The way you live this life given you by God makes an impact on you, of course, but not just on you, on everybody else as well. If you want to be good at anything, you want to be good at life, at living life. Again, uh, more specifically, if you're a mom, I know you want to be good at being a mom. And obviously there are things you can spend time on and work at becoming good at that are, are nice to be good at. And there are things that you can be bad at that you might want to try to become better at, but that don't really make much of an impact at the end of the day, either way. Like you can really sew well, and that's great. Or you can work hard at becoming good at painting. That's wonderful. But life, living life, being a mom, you know, this is one thing you can be good or bad at. You can be good at living life. You can be bad at living life, and it really makes a difference. And so you want to think carefully about what it takes to be good at living life, at being a parent, at being a mom or a dad right now. And you have to think, because there are lots of different answers out there. That's the thing. This is something that you have to think about because this is something that people have a lot of opinions about, and it can be overwhelming, honestly. All the advice, this is what you need to focus on. Uh, this is what your family needs. You're having 
problems. Uh, this is what you need to work at. There are just so many different ideas. It's got to be overwhelming if you don't have a final authority. But as believers, we do have a final authority. Like we, we don't have to go around guessing what is important, what it takes, what, what website has the answer. Because the creator of life who knows all things, who has designed this world to work a certain way, has actually spoken. And one place he has spoken very clearly is here in the book of Proverbs. And I love the book of Proverbs because really Proverbs is all about living life well. It's part of this section of scripture actually called the wisdom literature. And so, you know, the Old Testament is made up of all different kinds of writing and you have some writing that is called the law and others that is called the prophets and then this section that is actually called the writings. And in the writings, there are these books that are described as wisdom literature. And that is Job, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and sometimes they say the Song of Solomon. It's wisdom literature. And that's not just like trivia. That's actually kind of, of helpful because you'll notice as you look at these books that it makes sense to put them in their own category because they're different than the rest of what you read. Most of the Old Testament is telling a story, and that story is mostly about what God is doing through this nation, Israel. So if I pick up Exodus, if I pick up Kings, if I pick up Isaiah, I'm going to read a lot about Israel and sacrifices and rituals and laws. And yet as you read Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, you're not going to read much at all about the story of what's happening with Israel. And there's not even a lot of talk about laws or rituals or, or sacrifice. But instead, it's more universal. It's kind of like the authors of these books are stepping back and talking about life in general for all of us. These are wise men who are looking at the big picture and trying to help us all understand how life in this world works. So Job is asking the question, why? Why is there so much suffering for the righteous in this world? And then Ecclesiastes is asking the question, how? How are we supposed to make sense of life when it's so confusing? And Proverbs is asking the question, what? It's a little less speculative. Uh, Job and Ecclesiastes are sometimes described as speculative wisdom, and that means they're interested in why things are the way they are and how to make sense of how life in this world works, where Proverbs is a little more down to earth. And it's like, okay, this world's broken, and even if I don't know everything about how everything and why everything is the way it is, what should I do to live a life that works well? It's a very practical book. And if you look at verse 1 of chapter 1, you see that it's written by someone who knows a little something about how to live life. It says it's written by Solomon, the Proverbs of Solomon. And Solomon is someone who had a lot of experience with life and actually tested life to figure out how it worked. And not only did he have all these opportunities and these experiences, he was enabled to be literally the wisest person who ever lived pre-Jesus, which would be a reason enough to listen to what he says about life. But it gets better because, you know, we believe that Solomon was not only really wise, he was inspired, which means that this is God using Solomon to say what he wants to say. This is, in other words, God on life. Proverbs is God on a successful life, how to live life well. And as we look at Proverbs, it's not hard to see that one absolute key to living a successful life is wisdom. What do you need to be an effective mom? What do you need to live a great life? Wisdom. You need wisdom. And if you read Proverbs, Solomon works hard at making that really, really clear. I mean, he absolutely puts that in bold print. 
Because in the first nine chapters, he does a lot of talking about how valuable wisdom is, and sometimes in really shocking ways, like chapter 3, verse 13, Proverbs 3, 13, you have to see this, because he says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. Why? For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels. And of course, Solomon would know, because Solomon was really rich. They say, and it's the internet, so it's not like deep research, but the internet says that in today's economy, Solomon would have been worth something like $2 trillion. And yet, you know what he says? He says, nothing you can desire can compare with wisdom. Nothing. This is the world's richest, the world's wisest man saying, that wisdom is the absolute single best investment you can ever make. If you're going to get anything in life, get wisdom. And you can see why, as Solomon goes on in this passage, Proverbs 3, 3 verse 16, he says, long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. And so it's like you can imagine someone standing in front of you. What's in my right hand? What's in my left? Which do, you, which do you want? Long life in my right, riches and honor in my left. And the thing is, you don't have to choose because you get wisdom, you get both. He goes on. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. And a tree of life, I mean, that picture in the Bible goes way back to the beginning, right? And even if it didn't, it's a, it's a pretty cool image. A tree that produces life. That's wisdom. Wisdom is the key to a successful, effective life, according to Solomon. And you know, we're applying that specifically now <laughs> to moms. Wisdom is one important key to being an effective mom or, or parent. There's, there's no question about that. The question is, though, the, the questions really, there are two. The questions are, one, what is wisdom? And two, how do you get it? And I want to try to spend most of our time in Proverbs chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 7 mostly. How do you get it? But it's probably important first to define what it is. Because we often use the word wisdom differently than the writer of Proverbs. The Hebrew word is actually chokmah. And chokmah, at the most basic level, is a skill. So there's a, a couple different facets to the way the word wisdom is used in Proverbs. But the first is just the ability to do something well. That's wisdom. In fact, maybe it helps to contrast wisdom with knowledge because there are a lot of times when we use the word wisdom where we're actually thinking more knowledge or even basically information. That's what we mean. God, give me wisdom, and we mean God, give me more information. Where wisdom, biblically, is bigger than that. That's knowledge. Knowledge involves knowing more information about something, but hokmah, or wisdom, is knowing what to do with that information. This word that Solomon uses for wisdom in Proverbs is used in other places in the Bible to talk about people who were good at certain specific skills. So like, for example, God tells Moses to get skillful people whom he gave a spirit of skill to make Aaron's garments. And he's talking about tailors. Those are skillful people. And so there's a sense in which you could say tailors are wise. They have hokmah, because maybe we all know what a good outfit looks like. So that's knowledge. We have that knowledge, that information. But tailors have the ability to take that thread and that fabric and weave all those individual pieces together to make beautiful clothes. They don't just have knowledge or information, they have skill. And not just tailors, obviously. Other places we read about carpenters having a kind of wisdom and sailors even as well. In this world, there are people who have studied the way certain things work, wood or sailing, whatever, and they've practiced and they've practiced and as a result, they have wisdom in certain skills that the rest of us don't. 
And so some places in the Bible, this word wisdom is talking about a technical skill, like a tailor or a carpenter. Other times it's talking about an administrative skill, like a judge or a political leader. Sometimes, though, it's a more social kind of skill. Some people understand how life works. And so where someone might be good at, like, working with wood, and another person might be good at administration, some people are good at life. They have a skill at living. And that's more the kind of wisdom Proverbs is talking about. It's the ability to make choices that make life easier. If I take some of what Proverbs says about wisdom and apply it specifically to parenting, it's knowing how to deal with your child's anger in a way that doesn't make it worse. It's, it's about knowing what to say to your child when they're frustrated, and not just what to say, when to say it. It's the skill of handling all these little details of parenting and mothering and living life in a way that works. It's, it's being smart about relationships, not just for the sake of being smart and getting what you want from those relationships, but so that you can do what's right and what's fair and what's beautiful, which isn't e always easy. That's the thing, because life is complicated. Being a mom is complicated, for sure. You're working with your child, and you know you're supposed to love them, but at that moment, they're not listening, or they're doing the same wrong thing for the hundredth time, and you're thinking, what does it look like to love a person like this right now? Or you have this plan, and you really want your family to get it done, but you know the Bible warns you about being self-willed, and yet you know you're going to have to push if you're going to get your family to get that plan accomplished. And so you're like, what does it look like to be humble in this moment and yet to, to lead? A lot of times, I think this is the challenge of life. And as a parent, you know many of the principles, or at least you think you do. But as you're actually parenting, there's all this stuff that is happening, and it's happening really quickly that have a lot of impact on our relationships with one another. And so what you need is the ability to take all those principles that you've learned and apply them in moments in a way that's good for you and for others and that glorifies God, and that's wisdom. It is a skill in applying truth to everyday life. And the reason you can learn this skill is because when God created the universe, he created it to work a certain way. This skill, you might say, has to do with the order of the universe. And, and this is what I think is cool. It's a second facet to the Hebrew word for wisdom, and it's important. Wisdom is a skill, one, for, for doing what's smart and also what's good. And two, this is a skill that has to do with the order of the universe. I mean, think about it. How can I learn a skill, any skill? You say, well, you have to practice, you need instruction, all those things, which is true. But even more fundamentally, the reason you can learn a skill to do something is because there are certain ways that things work, right? If something is completely random, you can't really learn a skill. You just get lucky. So if every time I pick up fabric and thread and use a sewing machine, it worked differently. If it was completely random, there was no pattern, it just did all kinds of different things, then there's no way I could learn to be a tailor. I can learn to be a tailor because there's an order to things, a certain structure that enables you to study those things, to find the pattern and practice and practice and get better at them. And wisdom says that's not just true of carpentry or administration or sailing, that's also true of the universe itself. And I think this is key. There's a certain order to the universe. It's like when God created this world, he created it to work a certain way. And wisdom is knowing how it works and making choices in the middle of life that matches up with how God made the world to work. In fact, you know, I can give you a picture to illustrate because it's there's a really interesting way the writer of Proverbs puts it. If you turn over to Proverbs chapter 8, where he writes a, a poem. 
And this poem, in this poem, he has wisdom speaking. And most of Proverbs 1 to 9 is a father speaking to his son, but once in a while, he gets creative and pictures wisdom like a person, and he actually, actually pictures wisdom like a lady. And in chapter 8, Lady Wisdom Speaks and describes herself as being with God way back at the beginning of the world. And she says, Proverbs 8, verse 22, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. Which at least means she's really, really old. And she goes on to describe just how old. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with weather. Before the mountains had been shaped. Before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above. When he established the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him. As we go back, 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 all the way before creation, we see wisdom with God. And wisdom says she was involved with God as he was creating all these amazing things that we see. Verse 30, I was beside him like a master workman. And the idea, I think this is poetry, but the idea, I think, is that we're supposed to picture wisdom as being something that God used to build the world, almost like a tool he's using. Proverbs 3.19 puts it like this, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. And it's almost like God, before he created the world, he designed a plan for how the world would work. And that plan is wisdom. And then he used wisdom as a blueprint to architect the world. And so when God was designing the universe, it's a picture, but it's almost like he's going to wisdom and is like, this is how I'm going to do it. Obviously, we know wisdom is an attribute of God, but it's also a, a law woven, you might say, into the DNA of the universe. And so as a result, there is this whole system behind the way the world works. Scientifically, we know, like the law of gravity, but not just scientifically. There's also a system to how this world was designed to work morally, relationally, socially, which I think is so exciting because... You know, there's a, a lot of things I can't say to you as a pastor when I'm motivating you to obey God. There's a lot of promises I can't make. Like, I, I can't promise if you believe and do certain things as a mom that your kids are always going to be amazing. But that doesn't mean God isn't good. God is good. He's so good, and he wants your best. And one of the ways that he shows you he's good and that he wants your best is by stooping down and giving you information so that you can understand how he created life in this world to work best. I mean, are you hearing what I'm saying? If we, if we look back to the beginning, we see God created the world. And when he created the world, he created this world to work a certain way. He put an order into it. And obviously, man's sin broke the world in some fundamental ways. And that's why we have Ecclesiastes and Job. Ecclesiastes, Job, and Proverbs are like three friends sitting down to think about life. And you need to actually read them all together. But at the same time, Proverbs wants to say to Ecclesiastes and Job, yes, the world is broken, but there is a basic way that God designed the world to work. And he could have kept that hidden so that we could never have any idea about how the world worked. But he's good and he's kind, and so he gave us his word, and he raised up men and enabled them to study the universe with his word in their hands. In the Old Testament, in fact, we meet different groups of, of, of men. We meet prophets, we meet priests. We also meet, in the Old Testament, these wise men. And these wise men, it's like they're looking at the universe with the law of God in their hands so that they can understand God's basic blueprint for how life in this world is supposed to work so we don't have to be simple. And so we don't have to go through life doing things that are not just wrong, but are also just foolish and, and stupid. To live life well, we need wisdom. And if we're Christians, we can get wisdom. How? Now we can fast forward to Proverbs chapter 2. 
And at first, as we look at these verses, the answer seems simple. Verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. And then verse 7, he stores up wisdom, which is an important start because biblical wisdom is more than just how much you've read and definitely more than just how old you are or even how smart you are. God is the one who gives wisdom. There is a supernatural element to wisdom, which should keep us humble because wisdom is ultimately a gift. We don't earn it. And if you have it, it's because God gave it, which also gives us hope because look, we're all kind of in the same position when it comes to being wise. No matter what our background, we, we all have the opportunity to become wise because God is the one who gives wisdom. We don't all have the opportunity to go to the same school, but we all do have the opportunity to actually become wise, skilled at life, because God is the one who gives wisdom. But at the same time, Solomon wants to make it clear, and hear me now, he only gives that wisdom to a certain kind of person, which is kind of why I wanted to look at this passage, actually, because I want to be effective, and I want you to be effective, and in, in life, and, and as parents, and I know for that to happen, you need wisdom. And, and being a Christian and being here is obviously a huge start. It's, it's amazing. It's great. It's important. But you are not automatically wise just because you became a Christian. You made the wisest choice in the world, Jesus, but practically, in terms of living life, there is a lot you need to learn after becoming Christians even if you know a lot of information, actually. Because remember, wisdom is a skill. So being a Christian obviously helps you learn that skill, just like being alive helps you learn other skills. It's hard to teach carpentry in a cemetery, if you know what I'm saying. It, being alive helps you learn. It's, it's hard to learn a skill if you're dead. It's hard to teach a dead person a skill. And so if you're not a believer, it's like you're spiritually dead. But just being alive, just being a Christian, being born again, doesn't mean you've learned the skill either, right? And so if you're a Christian, God's given you new life. That is huge because it means you now have the ability to become wise in a way that honestly, most of the world doesn't. And you want to. That's a, that's a big problem in the world, just loving being foolish. But now that you're a Christian, you've got a bent towards wisdom, and that's a massive privilege. But at the same time, while you have all these resources and you have all these advantages, there are still certain things that need to be true of you if you're going to become wise and advance in the Christian life. And I think you see that if you look down at verses 1 to 6 of Proverbs chapter 2, because this is an, an if-then construction. My son... Oh, we're saying here today, moms, we're just applying this specifically. But my son, verse 1, if you, and then verse 3, if you, verse 4, if you, then verse 5, and verse 6, for, if this is true of you, that's conditional, if this is true of you, then this will happen to you. And this is the reason I can be so confident. Verse 6, 4, with all these different ifs, Solomon is giving us a number of different requirements for growing in, in wisdom as Christians. You want to be an effective mom, you need wisdom. And you want wisdom, here are five requirements, really. First, you have to be open to God's word. Are you honestly open to God's word? Verse 1, my son, and this is Solomon speaking as a father. This is a father's counsel to his son. But it's in God's word, of course, which is why we're reading it. And so Solomon's speaking not just as a father here, but as a representative of God. And so his words aren't just any words. He's communicating God's words, which means this isn't just for his son. This is for all of us, which is why I put the question the way I did. Are you open to God's word? Because you see, Solomon says, my son, if you receive my words... And that applies to Proverbs, of course, but really all of Scripture as well, because the whole Bible is written from a, your father to give you wisdom. And to benefit from the wisdom the Bible is intending to give you, you have to receive it. And receive means personally embrace. 
You have to take it for yourself. It's kind of like if I try to give you a gift, that gift is not going to do you any good unless you take that gift as your own. And while I know that seems obvious, I think one simple reason many people stay simple, (laughs) one simple reason many people don't become wise is because they aren't actually open to what God says. And now this is going to get a little challenging, but I remember, I think I've told you this before, but when I was younger, I would go to my father for counsel. And when he started giving me counsel, I would spend the next few minutes arguing with him about that counsel. Until finally he just asked, he would say, he had kind of intense blue eyes and would look at me very seriously, Josh, do you really want to know what I think? Or do you just want me to agree with what you already decided? And that's how many people are with God. In that they come to God and they try to look respectful and they say they want to know what God wants. But if you could somehow look at what's happening in their hearts, the door is closed. It's locked. Because they've already decided what they're going to do. And they're not open to God changing that. And so if you're actually going to become skilled at living life, you need to do some self-evaluation and ask, am I really willing to receive God's word? And that means to do what it says. In James 1, James puts it like this, and James is kind of the Proverbs of the New Testament. James 1, you know the verse, James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him, which sounds like Proverbs. It's a great promise. The Lord gives wisdom. But James, like Solomon, wants us to know that God only gives that wisdom to a certain kind of person. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And what does James mean when he says you can't come doubting? I always thought, oh man, if I just doubt one doubt, like does that ruin my whole prayer and it's just done? That's not what James means at all. He means some people come to God asking for wisdom, but inside they're not willing to do what God says. They have two minds, he explains. They are a double-minded person. One that is saying, I want wisdom from God, and the other that's saying, you know what, I really just want to do what I want to do. And James says, while God is incredibly generous and willing to give wisdom to anyone who asks, he's only willing to give that wisdom to people who ask sincerely willing to actually listen and do what he says. And as a Christian, even as a Christian, if you're going to become wise, you have to make sure that internally, not just externally where we all see a church and you're like smiling, I love the Bible, I love the Bible, but internally, in your heart, you're actually committed to receiving what God says, which might be different than what you want. (laughs) Which at the most basic level, when it comes to being a mom or dad means... God, I have this way I would like to parent. And I have this way how I would like my children to act. But I want to know what you want me to do in this situation, even if it is different than what I want to do. You've got to open the door, and you've actually got to welcome wisdom into your life. And, and that's almost one step further, really. In the, in the second half of verse 1, you see how Solomon says, Proverbs 2.1, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you. And I like that word, treasure, because it's one thing to receive something. It's another to treasure it. Treasure has to do with value. It's not just that you're open to hearing God's word. That's the first step. But it's that you take God's word seriously. You treat it as if it were something important, something different than all the ideas and opinions and blogs and podcasts out there. And because you value God's word so much, you treasure it. You put it in a safe place. You're careful. You don't treat it lightly in one ear and out the other. You think about it. You memorize it. You meditate on it. Honestly, practically, one thing you might have to do to treasure God's word is turn the other sources of input off. It's like if I really want to hear what you have to say, but I've got headphones on and they're blaring music, first step to me hearing you is taking the headphones off. If you're going to become wise, are you open to God's word? Are you willing to receive it and doing what it takes to treasure it? 
That's first. Second, you have to eagerly listen to God's word. And this is a little more specific. Open has to do with your heart. Listen has to do with actions. Do you eagerly listen to God's word? And in verse 2, Solomon says, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. I found, and again, this is intense, but I found sometimes what we really want is not to do what God wants, but to look like we want to do what God wants while we just do what we want. So we're like, I wish I could change. I wish I could change. Oh, I just wish I could change, but I don't know how. I don't know how to change. And that feels good. It feels bad because we're not changing, but it feels good because it looks like we want to, but we don't really want to. And proof of that is we're not going to make a priority to take advantage of opportunities to gain wisdom, and we do make a priority out of other things instead. So this is kind of like where the rubber meets the road. It is easy to say you're open and you're willing to receive God's word and that you treasure God's commands, but the way you prove that true is through your willingness to work hard at listening to what he has to say. And there's an emphasis on work hard. Solomon says, make your ear attentive. And attentive means pay attention because he knows we're all humans. And sometimes it's hard to pay attention. And that's why he says, you have to make your ears attentive if you're going to become wise. In other words, you have to work at it. You're going to have to work at becoming better at listening. And this is something that I'm kind of passionate about. One of the absolute most basic things you have to do if you're ever going to become wise and skilled at living is you have to grab hold of your ear and learn how to listen well. And one place to do that is when you get a chance to live, listen to preaching. This is a big opportunity and there's a skill to benefiting from preaching, actually. You know, it would be good to learn that skill for sure. First of all, because it's a privilege. You have somebody who's like working 20 hours a week, 30 hours a week, just on this time here. So that's a privilege. And then second of all, you're going to spend a lot of time if you're a Christian listening to preaching. So you definitely, like, how many hours over the course of your life are you going to listen to preaching? It's definitely something you want to be good at. And, and this is why we're trying to train our children to learn how to listen to sermons. I remember when I was young, my dad worked on helping me learn from sermons, and I'm so glad that he did. And I'm so glad many of you are doing that with your children. My dad taught me how to take notes when someone is speaking so I could follow. And then on the ride home, he would ask me, uh, right home from church, he would ask me what the sermon was about, and then how did it apply to your life, Josh? How are you gonna change? How are you gonna change? He was always big on application, and he would notice if I wasn't paying attention. And uh, he would actually uh, talk to me later about it. I wasn't even allowed to go to the bathroom. How do you like that during the message? That's how serious he took it. I remember sitting there thinking sometimes, well, is it worth it to go to the bathroom now or not? And, and, and there are, are some of you here who take it so serious. There are some people I've talked to, I'm like, I better really work hard at Sundays because they're listening so well. But of course, it's not just now on Sundays or listening to sermons that I'm talking about. It's also on your own. If you want to be effective at life and you're not willing to have regular Bible intake or spend time worshiping God, I'm not sure how you expect it to happen. And then also, there's learning from others. Eagerly listening means when you're around godly people in general, people who know God's word, you want to become the kind of person who listens to what they're saying to you and really hears, which may mean that sometimes you're quiet when you're around people who know God's word. You're not always talking and sharing your opinions because you want, want them to have the opportunity to teach you something. It may mean that you're not quiet. You're asking good questions. When you're around someone who has wisdom, you view that as an opportunity, and so you want to look at your life and ask them questions about how to apply the scriptures to what's going on. It may mean that you work at developing a relationship with a godly person, and then you give them the freedom to speak into your life, and you say, please rebuke me. Tell me when I'm doing wrong. Please, uh, you have free range here. You can, you can talk to me about any issue that you see in my life that you feel like is an issue. And when they do, you don't argue or come up with justifications. You listen. Make your ear attentive and not just your ear. 
That, that's the thing, your heart as well. Make your ear attentive, Solomon says, and incline your heart to understanding. It's weird, but when I'm really struggling with something, it's good to ask, do I really want to understand the answer? Because the reality is sometimes you don't. And there's a moral thing going on because understanding means repenting or changing. And you don't want to repent and you don't want to change. And so instead of letting the Bible say what it says, you come up with questions and arguments because then it can look like you really want to understand when in reality you don't. There are times where you're talking to someone and you're like, wow, that is almost like a gift that you can take something that simple and make it that complicated. And you think, I wonder, is it really that complicated to you or is the reality that you're trying to make it that complicated because then we can't get to the real issue and yet you can still look like you're really interested in the Bible. And there are some people out there, you can be like brutal with them. It's like you have to pound them with truth. You're like, I do not know of a way to say this more straightforwardly. And they still don't hear what you're saying. You're like, being as direct as you can. And they're like, did you say something? Because they're so proud. And there are other people who you just say something so small. And they're picking up on it. And they're asking questions. And they're trying to see how they can change. And again, James kind of un unpacks this in James 1, 19 to 21. When he says... Hopefully you know this passage, but he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And that's a good picture of what it means to make your ear attentive and incline your heart. It means being quick to hear. It doesn't take you a long time to pay attention when God speaks. You're kind of on the edge of your seat. You're slow to speak. You're not arguing and babbling and trying to make a lot of noise, and you're slow to become angry. And here he's getting to it. What often happens when we're confronted with God's word is we don't really listen. We defend ourselves, and we do that because we're kind of angry at being confronted. And so it's no surprise we can never become wise because sinful anger, according to James, never produces the righteousness of God. So what do you do? You incline your heart. How? James says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Repent, deal with sin, and receive with meekness. Humble yourself, remind yourself, I need God's word. It's God's word. I don't know everything. Sometimes we look at people who are wise, who are living life well, parenting well even, and we're like, it's magic. Or we make another excuse and we're like, ah, they just like somehow had angels that came out. It's not magic. God gives wisdom. You can become wise. But God gives wisdom to a certain kind of person. And it's someone who's open to wisdom. Are you open to hearing God's word? It's someone who eagerly listens. Do you eagerly listen? Third, you have to ask God for help. Do you regularly ask God for help? Yes. Proverbs 2, 3. If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding... And call out to who? Raise your voice to who? First, wise people, of course. That, that's one group. So if you're around someone who has a good marriage, ask them to help you with yours. If you're around someone with godly children, try to learn from the way they approach parenting. If you meet someone who's patient, talk to them about how they learn to become so long-suffering. It's okay to ask for help. There's no shame. If you feel shame asking for help, you know who put it there? You. I think of this, if you ask any wise person for help, there's no shame. I think of this with children. If you're around children, they don't like to ask for help. And so often they'll be like, I can do this, I can do this, like carrying something that's so obviously too heavy for them and they're like falling over, they can't even pick it up. I can do this, I can do this, until they can't. But most of us aren't children. And so we shouldn't act like children. When you're having problems, and even when you're not, get around wise people and ask them to teach you what they know. But really, ultimately, it's not just people you should be asking for help. It's God. And Solomon says he's the one who gives wisdom. And James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. I remember listening to a professor who uh, is an expert on Proverbs. He's got a PhD. He spent years uh, 
studying Hebrew. He has hours and hours of lectures on Proverbs. He's written thousands of pages on the book of Proverbs. And yet, you know what impressed me in his classes was that he began every class I listened to with a simple prayer asking for God's help. And he did that because wisdom's not like math or history. It's not ultimately dependent on your ability to know a lot of information. To, to truly be wise, your mind and your heart need to be enlightened by God. So you need to be like, God, please help me. And he's generous, God. If you're in Christ, he's your father. Your generous father will give you the help you need. And I know you might think, well, I did ask God. Are you kidding me? I did ask God, and I'm not getting the wisdom I need. And I know that's difficult, and it can feel frustrating, but I promise, I can promise the problem's not with God. And so if you're asking for wisdom and you're not getting it, there are possible reasons, but it's not God. Sometimes it might be that you're not a believer, actually. Uh, sometimes people don't get wisdom because they, they, they just want out. They don't actually want wisdom. And so the problem is bigger than needing wisdom. They need salvation. And, and sometimes when a person is struggling in a certain area for a long time and they, they can't figure out how to, to, to change, it is like a wake-up call to them. Maybe I'm spiritually dead and I need God to give me new life. And so I need to go to Jesus and ask him to make me a new person. But there are other reasons we are not getting the wisdom we need as well. Like maybe you're a Christian, but there's sin in your heart that you need to repent of. And you're like, God, I will obey you in every area, just not that one. Or maybe you're not listening to the help God's giving you because he's showing you the way and you don't like it. So you're like a child, you know, where the, the parent is trying to show them something and they keep thinking, if I just don't look, maybe, maybe I won't have to see it. And you're like that with God. He's showing you the way, but you just won't look at that way because you, you, you don't really want to obey. Or, or maybe he's just teaching you to be patient and he, he wants you to have a relationship and so he wants you to keep on praying and depending on him. But look, whatever's going on, just because you're not receiving the wisdom right away doesn't mean you stop asking. If I'm living in a desert and I know there's only one place I can dig and get water, if I know that and I start digging and I don't get water, I don't stop digging. I keep digging because this is the only place where there's water. And if I don't get water, I die. And that's kind of how it is with wisdom. You need wisdom. You need it. You absolutely need it. This world is so complicated. You need wisdom. This is the key to a successful life. It's key to honoring God in the practicalities of life. And God says he only gives wisdom to people who ask for it. And so if you're not getting it when you're asking, evaluate your heart and all that. But whatever you do, don't stop asking. Four, you have to search for it. Are you fervently searching for it? Verse four, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures... And this is a good comparison, obviously, because we understand people searching for treasures. We even make movies about people searching for, for treasures because that's what people do when money is on the line. They're willing to sacrifice everything for it. And that's the kind of desire Solomon is saying you need for wisdom. I told someone recently, this is one of my favorite all-time, one of my all-time favorite stories. I think I got it from Dr. MacArthur, but someone went to this famous teacher and asked, would you teach me? And this famous teacher was uh, beside the ocean teaching at the beach because he was a smart teacher, I suppose. That, that's where smart teachers would teach. And so when this person asked if he would be his teacher, he just turned. He started walking towards the ocean and said, follow me. And uh, the person thought that was weird, but he was a famous teacher, and so what are you going to do? He followed until they were about chest high in, in the water, and, and then... This famous teacher, he put his hands on the person's head and pushed him under the water. And this was really strange, but he trusted the teacher. And he was patient until he started struggling to breathe. And he thought he was going to drown. And so he started fighting and, and failing. But the teacher was strong and just held him there until finally, just when he was about to faint, he let him come up. And he flies out of the water. And he's like gasping for air. And when he's finally able to speak, he looks at the teacher. And he says, what are you doing? What are you doing? And the teacher looks at him and says, as soon as you want to learn, as badly as you want to breathe, then I'll be your teacher. 
And in a sense, that's the kind of desire Solomon is saying you need to have for wisdom. You say you want to become wise, but how badly? Are you willing to get up early to read? Are you willing to work hard to understand more when you don't get it right away? Are you willing to ask for help, even if you think it's going to be embarrassing to ask for help? You say you want to become wise and good at living, but how badly? And maybe you say that's the problem. I don't have that kind of desire. Like, that's where it, where it ends. I guess I'm just one of those people that doesn't have the desire. I can't become wise. No. You don't have that desire? Get it. Because some desires you don't have, and, and it's like, okay, whatever. I guess I don't like vanilla ice cream. But other desires you don't have, you don't sit back. You say something's wrong. A mom's like, well, I guess I just don't desire to be with my kids. I don't like them. I'm going to spend the rest of my life in uh, Tahiti by myself in a hut. And you're like, woman, a lady, a sweet lady, that's not so sweet. That's wrong. <laughs> that's wrong. You need to get that desire. How? One, you need to preach to yourself your need for wisdom, which is pretty much what Solomon's doing all through chapters 1 through 9. Before he gives all the wisdom in Proverbs 10 that he's going to give, he spends all these chapters talking about how important wisdom is because he knows you, you need motivation, and that's what you need to do for yourself. Maybe on a regular basis you make a list or something. This is why God's word is valuable. This is why wisdom is important, and you work your way through that list. You can't just listen to yourself. You have to preach to yourself. Two, don't fill yourself up on junk. You want to get a desire for God's word, motivate yourself. But two, don't fill yourself up on junk. Jesus says one of the things that chokes the word is the cares of this world. And sometimes our hearts are so filled up with like worldly ideas and entertainment and concerns that we don't really have any room left for what God has to say. Man, it's the NBA playoffs right now. I haven't been in America for a long time, and so we didn't really get to watch basketball. I'm watching a lot of basketball right now. And my mind goes to basketball a lot of times. I'm thinking about the Sixers in particular and what's going on, and are they going to win game four? And it's like, that's nice, and that's fun, but I have to be careful because even as a pastor who spends all this time studying God's word throughout the week, my mind can get filled with trivialities to the point where there's little left for actually thinking about things that do matter, long-term matter. And so if you're not desiring wisdom, maybe it's time to stop spending so much time watching movies, listening to music, and thinking about money, and give your mind and your heart space to feed on something better. Three, repent of sins, specifically sins in your relationships with other people. I got this insight from 1 Peter 2, but he says, Put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies long for the pure spiritual milk. And that put away in 1 Peter 2 comes before the longing. So he's saying the command is long for the word of God. But before he gives the command to long, he says you have to put away certain sins so that you will long, so that you will desire. And if you look at those sins, what kinds of sins are they? Malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. They're sins that involve other people. And I think that's powerful. One reason you're often not desiring God's word if you're a Christian is because you're angry at someone or you're bitter or you're treating someone in a way that dishonors God's God. And so if you're going to long have the right desires, you're actually going to have to deal with those sins so that you can long for God's word. Fourth, seek God's word even if you don't desire it. A lack of desire doesn't mean don't do it. And we know that in most areas of life. Like say you have cancer, I remember with Marta. If she went by her desires when she had cancer, there were a lot of days Marta didn't want to go to chemotherapy. But she went, why? Because she wanted to live. <laughs> And there may be days when you don't want God's word, but you get up and you keep going because you want to live. And this is how God gives you strength. And here's the thing. What you'll find so often is the more you study God's word, the more you want to. It's interesting. If you give in to your feelings and you don't read God's word, you know what's going to happen? You're not going to want to read God's word. 
But if you go against your feelings and you say, I want to have wisdom, even if I don't feel like it right now, you know what's going to happen over time? You're going to start wanting what you should want. It's how God's word works. Finally, 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 if you're going to become wise, and you need to become wise, if you're going to live life well, if you're going to be a blessing to your children, you need to become wise. But it's a process. It's a process. And yet this process isn't complicated, really, because God's good, and he's laid out a path to success. And so if you're frustrated or confused, what you need to do is you need to step back and focus. Okay, am I a Christian? Am I in Christ? That's the first question. Because if I'm a Christian, that means I have all kinds of resources at my disposal. I have the spirit, I have the word, I'm alive. But that doesn't mean I'm done. I need to grow in my skill in applying truth to life. And that's going to require movement on my part. It's going to require work. But I have hope because this process involves a promise. God will give me wisdom. I know that because he said he will. If what? One, if I'm willing to receive it. Two, if I'm working at listening to it. Three, if I'm asking for it. Four, if I'm searching for it. And so you know what to do if you don't have wisdom? You focus on doing those things. And what else? Here it is. If you want wisdom and you feel like you don't have it, start by just doing what you know God wants you to do. Five, God gives wisdom to someone who actively obeys. So you don't know everything. I get it. But do what you know. Are you doing what you know you need to do? Because God's got plenty of wisdom to share, but Solomon says in verses 6 and 7, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. And you can underline the words upright and walk in integrity because that's like an exclamation point. And so what do you do when you don't know what to do? You do whatever it is that you do know God wants you to do in faith, trusting that because he's faithful and because you are his, because of Jesus, he's going to give you more and more wisdom as you need it. And you know what? If you're a Christian and you're honestly open to changing and you're working at listening to God's word and you're asking others for help and you're not just going with your feelings but you're making a priority out of growing in godliness and you're obeying what you do know, you are growing in wisdom. I, I just guarantee it. Because I've given you some things to do but it's not just you doing. That's the thing. If you look at the New Testament, we know if you're a believer, Jesus is for you. And he's committed to you, so committed to you that he's given you the spirit of God. And the spirit dwells in you, and the spirit is committed to helping you grow. That's a promise that God makes. And so in the middle of being a mom or, or just being out there living life, I realize you may not always see that wisdom as much as you wish. And you're like, ah, oh, I wish I was further along. Okay, that's a good desire. I'm glad that you wish you were further along. But even though you're not who you want to be, you're not who you used to be. And I know you might look at your life and feel discouraged, and it's hard as you grow older, too. You look back, and you're like, I wish I could have been wiser. <laughs> I get that. But I'll tell you what's not wise right now. It's allowing that conviction to become self-pity. Because God is able to use your sins even for his glory and your lack of skill. And because if you're a Christian, you're not saved by how wise you were, how skilled you were at life but by Jesus and what Jesus did. And so that means if you're a Christian, God looks at you and he loves you. He sees you in Jesus. And that means you can be sure he's going to help you. No matter how many times you've failed before, he is a generous God who doesn't get tired of helping his children. So you don't have to get defensive and you don't have to make it about yourself and just, oh, I'm so bad, so bad, so bad, so bad. So bad. You don't have to go out there and prove yourself, like, if I can just fool everybody into thinking that I know how to do this. You don't have to worry. You just need to do what you did when you first became a Christian. You need to remember God's promises and believe that he's for you because of Jesus and humble yourself before him and open your heart to what he says and listen and ask for help and make a priority out of growing and commit to trusting him enough to be obedient doing what you know he's calling you to do, and little by little, he's going to help you. Solomon says, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. 
Then you'll understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, it gives us this great, big plan of what you're doing in the world through Jesus. And thank you that it also, in your word, you stoop down to help us deal with the nitty-gritty issues of life. We're just so grateful that you have made us new, you've given us new life, and you've given us what we need to live this life in a way that honors you. Help us to be people who listen and who, be, who are wise. And uh, only you can do this. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.